Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaverdam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens, in the history of the church, things get messy. And after the last couple of synods, nobody's going to disagree that things are really getting messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're having conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. It's also important for you to know that you are our marketing plan. We rely on you to spread the word about what we're doing at the Messy Reformation. We rely on you to share our content. We also rely on you to give us five-star reviews and provide good feedback for our podcast so that the algorithms push our content out into the world. You are our marketing plan. You can also support us financially on Patreon or Substack. All of the money raised is used to fund online hosting and build the platform of the Messy Reformation. You may even see a Messy Reformation conference coming in 2024. So keep your eyes peeled for an announcement. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode where Willie and I talk about the importance and necessity of discipleship in the church. We've got another episode up, just Willie and I talking. And part of the reason why we're doing this is one of the conversations we had on the most recent episodes with Drew Hukama. we talked about discipleship and we talked about this problem that we've been seeing in our churches of Christian reform kids growing up in the Christian reform church, being even involved in Sunday school throughout their years and involved in youth group and then uh, graduating and leaving the faith, some of them even, and are leaving the Christian Reformed Church because they, you know, hated their discipleship even in the Christian Reformed Church. And so mm-hmm. we touched it a little bit where I talked with Willie a little bit about what that looked like for him growing up in the Christian Reformed Church and wanting to stay. But we really felt like it was important for us to start fleshing that conversation out because that's not just a struggle in our churches, but it's a struggle, I, I think, throughout pretty much every Christian Reformed church right now when I talk to other pastors. Have you been hearing some of that too, Willie? Very much so. Obviously, Pease is perfect, so we don't have as yeah. much to worry about. But <laughs> I, I mean, can. you guys act like you're perfect. <laughs> oh, that. <laughs> <laughs> and I can only say that because, you know, uh, I think I've said that before. You know, my ancestors were part of planting, uh, or not planting, but starting the Pease Church and all of that. So, That's so right. I, when I take a shot at Pease, I'm taking a shot at myself and my own ancestry. So Your pedigree of perfection. That's right. <laughs> That's right. But no, uh, these conversations have been uh, on the forefront for me as I have, uh, I've even kind of taken a step back um, from volunteer youth ministry now, and I'm uh, doing some more uh, small group leading and uh, discipleship uh, stuff for our church right now, uh, which has been really good. And the reason why uh, that group kind of came about is it, it has to do with my ministry focus, if you will. It's it's less on 
the youth, you know, ages, you know, seventh grade through 12th grade and more towards those in the, the younger adult category, even the young couple category too. Um, and the, the reason why is because, you know, here is a remnant of younger people who have either stayed or come back. And now they are starting to take up leadership in the church. Um, how can they be best equipped to do that? And uh, just as, as somebody who has been in that position for a long time, um, you know, been given duties and responsibilities throughout both churches over the span of 11, 12 years now, uh, I've kind of taken it upon myself and uh, some elders have trusted and trusted me to uh, to take on this task. So, yeah, discipleship has been on the forefront of our minds at Peace, too. Yeah. Well, and, you know, for me, too, being in a church revitalization, um, one of the big things that we see when you, not just the church that I'm in, but any church revitalization, um, you come into it and you notice that usually there's an entire generation that's missing, right? Right. Have, uh, and, and it's not even, it's not always just like there's only old people in the church, but that is typically common of a church revitalization. You know, the majority of your church is over the age of 60. Yep. Um, but, but there's a huge gap in that 20 and 30 year old range. You've got a few 40 year olds, you got a few 50 year olds, you got a lot of 60, 70 year olds, but 20 and 30 year olds, there's like nobody. And, uh, and the question I ask a lot of people as I have these conversations with churches is like, well, what happened to them? Where are they now? Are they still Christians? Or are they going to another church in town? What, what's going on? And, and why do you think they, uh, they, they left this church or even, um, left the faith completely? And uh, a lot of people don't really know. Um, you know, the, the biggest answer I hear often is, well, they just, they kind of just left. And that's just kind of what kids are doing. <laughs> kids are doing these days. They're just mm -hmm. leaving. So um, they, you know, churches have a really hard time um, looking at themselves and saying, uh, we messed up. Right. And uh, it's uh, it's really hard to get any church to take a moment and say, you know what? The reason this generation left is because we failed them and uh, we need to make some changes now. And that's really what I've seen most often. Um, I mean, everybody's responsible for their own actions and yada, yada, yada. I understand that. But for the most part, I see the the generation missing from the church because we failed to disciple them. Mm-hmm. I would agree. And I think a part of that discipleship is intentionality. It's pursuit of these people. Mm -hmm. um, are there people who are in positions of authority and those who are, in a sense, shepherding the flock of God? Are they actually pursuing not just the sheep, but also the lambs, if you will? Not that they're necessarily kids or teenagers anymore, but that they are younger, maybe a little bit more spiritually immature in the faith. Are there godly men, godly women actively pursuing these people to take up positions of leadership so that they can flourish in leadership now, mm -hmm. not, not, not in the future? The, the whole thing that I, I heard growing up, you know, you, you'll, you'll be a future leader in the church. Well, what's, what's wrong with that statement? It, it, it kind of presupposes that they can't be leaders in their churches right now. Where instead you have people that are over them that are 
looking at them, observing them, and they are recognizing their talents and their gifts, which we believe these gifts come from God. And these people say they need to be exercising these gifts and they maybe need to be nurtured and fostering these gifts a little bit by somebody who's older and wiser than them. And from that, they can start pouring into them and say, I think you would do really well in this area. Or, well, maybe you should try this. And if you fail, let's do something else. Or, oh, that wasn't really your strong suit. Let's let's never put you there again. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's that whole kind of dance of, you know, trial and error that I would say a good portion of discipleship actually is, Yeah, uh, has just been neglected, I would say, for the better part of, I don't know, half of a century, if you, yeah. if, I don't know. I would say quite a while. And, you know, that you reminded me of a conversation I've had quite a bit over the years, really, as I've been uh, working with churches where um, they're struggling to find people to volunteer for things, right? Mm-hmm. And so you'll hear someone say, you know, I've been leading this ministry for 30 years, 40 years, and I'm not going to be around forever. Um, somebody's going to have to take this over for me and nobody wants to take it over for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and my conversation usually is, and, and maybe this sounds harsh and it's probably not as harsh in person, but, uh, usually I go, well, what have you been doing to disciple somebody to take the position over for you? Or did you just assume that somebody would just step up and and take over for you? Have you been preparing the next generation through your leadership or have you just been doing it? And usually I get a lot of blank stares hmm. when I get that, that there's there uh, most people haven't even thought about discipling the next person to kind of take over their position. And I'm talking volunteer positions. I'm talking, you know, churches, a lot of churches have a volunteer person running their worship committee and a volunteer person running their youth ministry and a volunteer person overseeing small groups or whatever. And uh, even if you're a volunteer person, you should be thinking about who's going to be taking over for you next and then working to disciple that person into filling that role for you, handing that bar, the baton off to the next generation. But, but there's something, there's a difference here. And I think, I think some of it's just generational. There, there was a a sense, and this isn't even a bad thing, I would say. It's it's really a a strong benefit in, in the generation that's in their sixties and seventies. They, they have a real sense of duty and obligation. Mm -hmm. And uh, if there was a role that needed to be filled, they'll just step in and they'll, they'll do it. They'll do it. And uh, the younger generation is not that way. A uh, younger generation sees a role that needs to be filled and they're like, well, I don't really have the time for that. And they're just willing to kind of let those things go. Mm-hmm. And so the the older generation is working from a position where they're saying, hey, stuff needs to get done. Step up, do your duty, step into it. And there's a younger generation saying, I really don't feel like doing that. I haven't really been discipled to do that. I don't really know what to do. And so things are just kind of dropping. And, uh, and, I really think on the one hand, the the younger generation needs to grab this uh, sense of duty a little bit and step in and just do some stuff. I think that's true. And yet the older generation, it does you no good to look down and just complain about the younger generation not stepping up and doing anything. It's actually partly your responsibility as well, partly your duty to be discipling this younger generation to be stepping into these roles and helping equip them and prepare them 
to take over these ministries once you're gone. When I enter into conversations like this, that's usually where I start is who are you actively training so that you have successfully worked yourself out of your job? Um, that's you're, you're not irreplaceable. So let's live into your <laughs> replaceability here. And let's assume that you are going to be training somebody to be doing what you've been doing for years. Now, uh, when I encounter the blank stairs, like you encounter the blank stairs, another question I always ask that is always behind all of this is, well, who trained you to do this? Who discipled you to do this? I don't know what you're finding in your church, but more often than not, the conversations that I'm in usually end up with them saying, well, nobody, I just did it myself. Mm-hmm. And then they expect other people to just do it themselves, kind of like you've been saying. And that begs my question. Okay, so you were you you saw a hole that needed to be filled and you just did it. Is that a virtue or a vice? I mean, it not 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 necessarily either. Like you said, these people operate under a sense of duty, which mm-hmm. is good. Uh I mean, the, these people, I would say the the 40, 50, 60 year olds are kind of the workhorses in some of these churches because of that sense of duty. However, that doesn't negate the biblical principles that have been set forth before us for older men to be training younger men and older women to be training younger women. Mm-hmm. These principles have been before us since the 20th, 21st century church started in the United States of America. We need to be living into these principles and not just be doing things out of a misplaced sense of duty, and then we get mad when people don't operate in the same ways that they did. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And I think, uh, um, you know, the the idea that, I mean, we've just lost the whole understanding in most of our churches of of um, discipling uh, one-on-one. And, and I'm saying one-on-one discipling, and we've, we've tried to, I think we mentioned this a little bit with Drew, just kind of trying to churn out disciples, kind of turning it into like more of a factory type of a model. And, you know, I've said this, uh, I've been, I've been kind of the bad guy over the years trying to help pitch a, a different understanding of discipleship. You know, we, uh, we were part of a, a church that had a really flourishing, um, uh, a VBS program is not really sufficient to describe what it was. It was something uh, pretty wild for the size of our church. We would have 200 kids at this thing. It was an art camp, went from eight in the morning till three o'clock in the afternoon uh, for a week, you know, 200 kids, all these different classes, Bible studies. It, it was really, there was a lot of stuff going on. Um, and so it was really flourishing for a long time and, and it was something our church was really proud of and, and, and a lot of really good came out of it, but I was always the one kind of asking the question, um, so how many man hours are being put into organizing this one, this one camp, right? You're talking, uh, I think we had 150 volunteers. Yeah. Um, for eight hours a day for a week, right? So five, 40 hours for a week, um, just for that week, over 150 volunteers plus, I mean, hundreds of hours of preparation and organization 
leading up to classes and buying material and organizing. I mean, we had thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of hours, right? That's right. And uh, I kept saying, like, what if instead of holding this huge camp that makes us feel good that we have 200 people show up to it, 200 kids show up to it and we're discipling, what if those 150 people just devoted one hour a week to one-on-one discipleship with a kid Mm -hmm. in this age group. We're talking one hour a week is like 50 hours a year, which is like a fifth of the amount of time that they were spending preparing for this camp. And you think if they spent one hour a week with one student that we would probably impact more lives more deeply um, rather than holding this big camp. And uh, the pushback I always got was, well, those 150 people won't spend that one hour a week doing one-on-one discipleship with a kid. So this is a way to do it um, in reality. And I, I get that pushback, but I think we do a lot of these big programs because it makes us feel good and we think we look good by doing them, but we don't sit back and actually evaluate their effectiveness in discipleship. And, uh, and what we've seen over the years is that the most effective discipleship we've ever experienced is, uh, is this one-on-one kind of a discipleship. Yeah, it's true. There's, there's obviously a lot there, um, and a lot of behind the scenes conversations, but, um, I, I always try and point out the fact that these, not just these students, but also these volunteers and helpers need to be regularly administered the ordinary means of grace. Uh, and this was always, I think, a little bit of a misfocus um, at, at this place. It, I, I think this place tried to kind of confuse ecclesiology with missiology. Uh, and for those of you, your ecclesiology, your doctrine of the church, your missiology, your, your doctrine of missions and evangelism. And when the two are confused and almost melded into one, then you rely on programs and external things like this to be the methods that make the differences. And that's part of the danger here, uh, because we read in scripture that faith comes by hearing the wording by, uh, Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ, and his word will not return to him void. The place that God has promised to work, not in the program, not in the method, but in the word. But we're so afraid to operate within the structures that God has set forth between us because it just it just seems too plain and too boring. And I would say, kind of like Paul calling it, the foolishness of preaching. And that's why we call them the ordinary means of grace, because this is God, how this is how God ordinarily works and shapes and builds his church. It's by daily catechizing, training, discipling, raising up people to take up these positions of leadership so that the church grows and flourishes, not just on a micro scale, but on a macro scale. This is how the church Catholic small c is built the ordinary means of grace. Yeah. And that's a good reminder. I think uh, you, you kind of gave a hat tip toward uh, first Corinthians there. And, and I would encourage everybody listening to this podcast. I don't know what your devotional plan is. If you don't have a devotional plan, you better get one. 
<laughs> you should be reading God's word every day. But um, I would encourage you maybe for the next week, next two weeks, how however long it takes you, go to First Corinthians and start reading through First Corinthians and then read through Second Corinthians. Because I'm I'm increasingly more and more convinced of the the relevance of those two books for the situation that we find ourselves in in the church right now, and uh, Willie's pointing some of that out too. You know, some of what Paul was rebuking in the Corinthian church is these super apostles, right? They had guys that were super smart and super powerful, and they were they were big and flashy, and the church was drawn into them, and they wanted the you know it's almost like the celebrity pastors of our day. And uh, the church was being kind of led astray by some of these things. They were being in awe of the big and the flashy. And Paul just kind of calls him out on that and says, no, we're we're not the ones out there trying to be big and flashy and wise and smart and powerful. We're actually the fools. Um, and it's just through the foolishness of preaching that people come to be saved. And and he actually even calls out the church as one of the one of the passages that has been kind of my, like, if you want to call it a life and ministry verse where he says, who are you when you were called? Mm-hmm. Were, were you smart? No. Were you powerful? No. Were you reputable in society? No. Cause God calls the foolish to shame the wise. He calls the weak to shame the strong. He call, calls the powerless to, to, to uh, rebuke those who are powerful so that he would be the one to receive glory and honor. It's, it's not through the big flashy programs, but it's just through daily life. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I, I find uh, one-on-one discipleship to be uh, such a powerful thing, really. On the one hand, it's not flashy. And uh, and your church can't like, I mean, people try to work on that. And I, there's probably ways to kind of market one-on-one discipleship and make it look flashy. But but reality, it's just getting together with people regularly, one-on-one, and having conversations about the Bible, uh, having conversations about what it means to live by faith in this world and to be faithful. Um, and it's not flashy. It doesn't, it's not a program in your church, and yet it's really the most effective way to to get it done. And it's and it doesn't have to be, I think a lot of people are intimidated by it. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have to be that intimidating. It's probably, I think it's less intimidating actually than being a Sunday school teacher where you have a lesson that you have to plan out. You have to prepare. You're going to teach these things in these ways and you have to do all of that where one-on-one discipleship is more, hey, here's the passage. I mean, this is how I see it. Here's what we're talking about today. Let's sit down, have a conversation about it, talk about it, see where you're at in life. And, and you don't. it doesn't always take a lot of preparation it's just uh, doing life together. And uh, and so it always surprises me that people push back on it because I, I'm like, it's actually easier to do one-on-one discipleship than to than to teach a Sunday school class in a lot of ways. In a lot, and you get to be more just organic and authentic uh, because a part of being a discipler, I think is a word that's, it's not quite the same thing, but almost synonymous is you're being a mentor. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is something that was always a benefit to me is whenever we would meet together, I would get to hear about situations in which you would conduct yourself in a certain way and basically be a model to me. Uh, and then you can say, and when you enter into a situation like this, here are things that 
I did right that you could do right, or I did wrong that you could do differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really do think being kind of a model mentor uh, is really helpful for anybody who is striving to become a godly, who who will become a godly older man and a godly older woman so that they can in turn do what was done to them. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Rachel and I have said this too, you know, one of the, one of the means by which God used to kind of grab hold of us and disciple us was uh, kind of a young adult group. Right. And it was a pretty small young adult group, maybe like four or five of us or whatever meeting at shout out to, to Joel and Julie DeHaan mm-hmm. um, meeting at their house. Uh, I think it was every other week is what we got together. We did a little Bible study. Um, that was good for us, but we've said that actually the, the biggest the discipleship that happened there for us wasn't even in the Bible studies per se, but it was just eating around their table, watching them parent their children. And, uh, we were, we were young parents trying to figure out what it meant to be a Christian parent and raise our kids in a Christian way. And, and so we're sitting around the table, watching them just do the thing. And uh, they weren't intentionally doing it, trying to teach us and disciple us, but they were just living out their faith, living out being a Christian parent in front of us. And uh, we were completely transformed by that. We, we, it shaped very much how we ended up parenting our children. And so, again, that was transformational for us, but it wasn't like they had to sit down and have a preparation meeting before we got there. Like, how are we going to parent our children today in such a way? No, it was just doing life together in some kind of structured way where we really learned how to be Christian parents. And seeing this done poorly is, I think, a reason why people don't do this. Mm. Uh, but I think it's a bad excuse. Um, anything can be done poorly, but the misuse of something does not negate a right use of it. And I would dare to say, you know, bad discipleship is bad, and we ought to call it that. But good discipleship is not just good, it's infectious. Mm -hmm. And since it's infectious, people who are disciplers should look at what is going on in these other places. And this, this is broader than just our CRC context and say, look at how they are doing this right. Let's steal a page from their book, so to speak. Let's find areas where they are excelling and they are growing not just outwardly, but upwardly. You know, how, how are they training people to live up to their heavenly reward that is before them? I mean, is, is that not the goal of discipleship? Uh, so I really do think that, um, like you said, seeing and modeling those who've gone before you is incumbent upon younger people and older people, because in so doing, they will receive their reward as well. Mm-hmm. Well, and even it says you were saying that, I was thinking of a, a line, uh, I think it's from D.L. Moody, who uh, somebody was critiquing D.L. Moody for his style of evangelism. And he his response was, I like my poor way of evangelism better than your lack of evangelism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, there, there's a way of like, um, hey, even if you're not going to be doing, you know, maybe just start doing discipleship. You may do it poorly, but it's better to be starting to do it and trying it out and figuring it out, learning by trial and error than 
just being afraid of doing it, period. And, and you know, it really comes down to another idea that, that we don't talk about a lot, um, in churches, um, is the, the idea of the, the, the distinction between sins of commission and sins of omission, right? There, and, uh, and the church talks a lot about sins of commission, right? Sins where we like, actively are involved in a sin, but we don't talk a lot about sinning where we refuse to act because let's, I think this is probably one of the biggest sins in the church actually is our just refusal to take action, refusal to do something because we're afraid, right? You'll have churches who are afraid to spend money on something because they're worried that they're going to misuse it, but then they just sit on money, not realizing that it's a sin to just sit on the gifts that God has given you, right? Scott Vanderplug reminded us that at Synod, mm-hmm. right? He said, if you, if we, God gives us a talent and we bury it in the ground because we're afraid that we're going to misuse it or whatever, that's a sin. And God had nothing to, good to say about that person. And so we need to, we need to recognize that even our lack of discipleship, our lack of efforts at one, like one on one discipleship, that there's, there is a sin of omission there as well. And so we need to start trying it. We need to start doing it. And, uh, and I think it, if we start doing it, we'll actually see the transformation start to happen in, in our churches as well. And not to necessarily bring this conversation back to Synod, but I love the time that was spent on the floor dedicated to that motion made by Scott. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like he was saying, this is the most important issue before us at Synod. He said, everybody came to Synod for this reason or that reason. I came for this, he said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a man uh, with his discipleship program that is pumping disciples out and sending them into the denomination, into the world to make disciples for Jesus Christ. Amen. So it, it was kind of like what Dave Bosher said. So when a guy like that stands up and makes a motion from the floor, I kind of want to listen. Yeah. And so, Scott Plug, he's going to be saying, and Dave Bosher, they're going to be saying mm-hmm. the same things that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, two, two, two discipleship is all about being someone, being discipled by someone and discipling someone else. And, uh, and it's all about one-on-one discipleship. That's what it is. And they, they bring in a, a curriculum kind of alongside that to kind of help you do that. Um, but, and, and I encourage you guys to go check it out. I've heard lots of good things about it. Um, I'm a lot more laid back in my style of, of one-on-one discipleship. Um, and, and it's probably just my personality. I always have some kind of discipleship, um, kind of a curriculum in mind or some kind of a structure. But often for me, it's like what Willie and I did is we, it was like, all right, let's go through Romans and we'll just work through as much of Romans as we get through this week. And then next week we'll start where we left off and we'll get through as much of that. And if it's one verse, great. If it's a whole chapter, great. We just kind of plotted through it. And it was there just to give us a structure to the conversation. And some weeks we talked about things that had nothing to do with that passage because that was what was on your mind and your heart or what was on my mind and heart. And and I felt like you needed that week. And so we just kind of went with it. But the curriculum part of it's really helpful because you know you always have something to talk about. Mm-hmm. 
And then just the the being flexible enough to kind of go off the chart and go off the path a little bit and talk about what's on people's hearts and minds that week is important as well. Um, but, you know, for me, I'm always trying to tie it back into the text or tie it back into what we're saying and say like, oh, so you're struggling with this this week. Well, notice how the passage we read today, um, what does that have to say about your struggle this week? Because I can mm-hmm. almost guarantee you it has something to say about your struggle this week. And so what does this have to say in helping people kind of wrestle through uh, some of that? But so if you want a more structured approach, I would totally encourage you go to 222 Discipleship, uh, look into their curriculum, their material. It's good, good stuff. But if you're more like kind of laid back, organic, you don't want to be tied too much to that. The simplest way is start with a book of the Bible and may it, it could be a gospel or whatever just pick a book of the bible and just work through it little by little by little with somebody that's all we have for this week if you want to help us out and support the messy reformation another thing you can do is sign up for our newsletter through substack that way you'll get episodes and summaries sent directly to your email inbox it will also give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast So head over to The Messy Reformation on Substack and sign up for our newsletter. Now, stay tuned next week for part two of Willie and I's conversation on discipleship. But until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.